Recent shutdowns at government agencies and large-scale airlines due to legacy systems not being updated are shining a harsh spotlight on the issues of technology modernization. On this episode of Today in Tech, we're going to dive into some of the challenges around keeping modern technology systems up to date. Hi, everyone. I'm Keith Shaw. Welcome to Today in Tech. Joining me on the show today is Richard Wiedenbeck. He is the Chief Technology and Transformation Officer at Emeritus, a leader in the insurance space. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thanks, Keith, for having me. Uh, always a pleasure to chat with you. Now, I feel like like you're a sort of a, a bigwig in the CIO space. I felt like just the titles, it, it doesn't do you justice. You're, you, you've done a lot of work in, in these kind of the CIO level and large scale companies, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I spent time, uh, I've run a couple software companies. I uh, spent time in kind of management consulting, um, got inducted into the CIO Hall of Fame in 2020, the perfect year to get inducted into the CIO Hall of Fame where you, you can't have a party and you don't get to go to a dinner. Yeah, but I got a nice, uh, I got a nice little uh, uh, glass uh, prize from it. But uh, yeah, um, you know, and I would say most of that is is from really trying to help um, uh, the CIO community and um, bring what I call that kind of business lens. I think as you talk to more yeah. and more CIOs, you're here. We're really business leaders who think about how do you apply and enable tech. So I, I, I think that's probably the more common profile than it was 15, 20 years ago. And right. certainly a uh, Certainly allowed me to be more successful in the role. And one of the reasons we wanted to have you on on the show as well is because of these a lot of these recent incidents. Now this probably happened around the holidays. It was the big ones like Southwest Airlines. Uh, they they had shut down a lot of their flights uh, because of uh, some software issues. Uh, the FAA uh, grounded a bunch of flights earlier in the year, and, be, and it turns out that they had legacy systems updated. Um, the IRS uh, just recently, I just looked up the the term like outdated systems and Department of Homeland Security had some issues as well. Um, so my, my first question would be, in terms of, of uh, a, a company's systems, why is it so hard for a lot of these companies and, and government organizations to sort of modernize their aging infrastructure? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. because yeah. I, I mean, I think it's multi-pronged. At the end of the day, it, it always feels like, an, and what's a really interesting indicator to me, and I I know, uh, uh, you know, when you and I talked a, a while back, one of the things that we talked about uh, was it's always interesting when you see these events, whether or not the CIO was fired or not fired. Right, right. Um, and when they're not fired, it, it, it's an interesting indication of what was potentially the dialogue prior to that event happening. But I think what happens with, and, and you don't want to say it's, you know, it's malicious intent. What I, what I think occurs is firms begin to, uh, they over bias towards speed. They uh, over bias towards get me that next thing that I need. And where we under bias is um, those things where you're accumulating, you know, the term is now getting a lot more airplay, the technology debt. Well, that debt isn't just I'm on the latest version or I have the right security patch. You, you know, you've led a bad, like an old architecture, the way you designed online systems 20 years ago, very mm -hmm. different than the way you design them today. So have you modernized your architecture? Have you modernized your design? Have you kept those things up to date? And those become hard structural issues to kind of uh, get past. And so 
you accumulate that debt, right? And we, we have this concept that emeritus we call kind of the debt to risk ratio. It's like we're building this meter that says, hey, you're, we're moving from the light green, you know, yellow into orange zone. We're heading towards red. And when you get to red, guys, you, you know, if bad things happen, it was not because you didn't know they were going to happen. It's because you were willing to take that risk. But I, but I think it's those, it's those trades. You make those trades in a small sense. Yeah. And, and so I think on one hand, it's that bias to go get me the next thing and to kind of, Hey, I can deal with that later. I can deal with that later. And I think CIOs have now got a responsibility to continually bring that forward and say, Hey, we are accumulating risk. Mm -hmm. Right. And at some point, that risk accumulation uh, is gonna is gonna create a, a failure, right? And and it's unfortunate that it has to create a catastrophic failure for people to to kind of go, oh wow. Um, and so I, you know, I, what I wonder and is how much is were you having the dialogue or right. not having the right. dialogue, and how much is you were ignoring the dialogue that you were having? Right? Yeah. So so that that brings up a couple of other questions I want to ask. Was do most companies uh, when they're implementing new technologies, do they have a sense of a lifespan in mind in terms of how long will this uh, technology sort of be good for us before we have to uh, upgrade? Or is that, a, is that even an outdated way of thinking? It's now more about we're going to implement something new and we're going to constantly update it. It's going to be sort of a, an ongoing iteration of, of things. Like wh- where, do, where do you think, you know, companies that you've worked for, like wh- what was, what was the, the, the attitude there? Yeah, and I think you you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there a little bit. I, I do believe that there's always been this idea of application lifecycle management or systems lifecycle management. Right. I think you know, any, anybody who's been in the tech space for a while has heard that term. Uh, what I think is changing, and you see it a lot, and I'll call it the, the now the new SaaS world or cloud world, is those upgrades are coming at you. It used to be we sat and said, well, we'll take the upgrade or we won't take the upgrade. Right. Now's a good time, not a bad time. And now um, there's another firm making that decision and the new features and functions show up. Um, what I wonder about in that mix, so I think there is a, a view towards maintaining that currency in a more frequent basis, mm-hmm. um, but these probably more structural issues of debt, the question is, are, are, those, are those now just accumulating and you're accumulating them in a newer system because those kind of structural issues require bigger versions and stronger releases. And when you're in this evolutionary mode, if you have a structural issue, you know, you're going to hit a break point that's like, oops, I got to solve that problem. So I, I, I do think um, we're seeing this lifecycle management world change, but I think we're also, we've got a growing risk on now, now, what, now what you're not seeing and what's not visible to you is those underlying, I'll call it structural architectural issues that could also be accumulating, but you don't have privy into them. So how are we as IT leaders now going to manage that cloud SaaS world differently, knowing that that we're not in charge of making those choices anymore? One could make the counter argument that as firms, we weren't making good decisions on those choices because we were letting the debt accumulate. Right. But I think now it, it can be kind of that below the ice, you know, you're going to have, that's the iceberg problem, right? I can see the iceberg at the top and the new things that are on it. Yep. What I can't see is what's going along along below the water waterline. But I do think that idea is there and it's different in different areas, right? As systems are record, that's not a place where you should be spinning a lot, right? You should be very methodical about what you do with systems or record. Systems of engagement or or experience, yeah, let those evolve. Those should be easier to stay on top of um, because you should be constantly evolving them. But again, if you're only focused on the 
next new click feature function and yeah. you're not focused on. I do think we've put security in really strong, but I'm not sure we're thinking through the other parts of debt, right? That kind of architectural, structural infrastructure. Well, that leads me to sort of another analogy that I think we've been, that, that I think we talked about earlier too. It, it, it feels like a lot of modernization efforts, uh, the reason that maybe they get delayed or they, they take a little bit longer than maybe you would think was because it's, it's the equivalent of sort of refueling a 747 in midair. And so you've got a lot of, of companies that are relying on either real-time data, real-time transactions. They have to keep the systems up and running. They cannot, they can't do downtime anymore. Like, and so that's right. why they, or the, the, the legacy systems that they have in, in place, you can't afford to shut those down to, 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 to modernize them. So it's almost like trying to refuel a jet in midair. And, and so instead of trying to do the impossible or, or try to, to make some magic around that, they, they sort of just go, we'll just kind of kick the can down the street a little bit and, and then hope that you don't get a disaster like what would happen with Southwest Airlines or, or some of these other stories about legacy systems. Is that, yeah. is that, the, is that the case as well? I, I think, I mean, I think you hit the, again, I think you hit that nail on the head. It's, um, it's easier to then kick that can down the road in that scenario because the pressure of the day-to-day and the real time is sitting in front of you, you know, business. And, and when you get compressed or stressed business cycles, right, we see it, you get downturns uh, in economies and revenue strain. You're not going to take the time out of your day to go work those. They are going to naturally get kicked and you're going to focus on how do I go make that next a dollar? Um, I think what in the circles of CIOs I've been talking to, what we're trying to figure out is again, hey, then how are we going to go solve that problem, right? One, how do we create awareness around it? Guys, regardless of how this now works, I have got to go find a way to set myself up. And is that, do I need to develop, you know, kind of take the play out of the old code, new code book? And I got to go put the new one up and get it all set up and then figure out how to migrate over because in that real time world, it, at some point, right, changing the wheels and on the engine and all of that. It, I mean, it's a great analogy, um, but it's a real analogy. At some point, you can't take the wheels off the bus at 90 miles an hour, and and the bus isn't going to be going 90 miles an hour because you took the wheels off of it. You had to right. stop, take the wheels right. off, wheels back off, right? And so, how do you go figure out how to bring up a new bus beside it? You know, jump your passengers. And that's a complex task too. Um, but how do we think about ways to go do that? But you're absolutely right. That idea of the pressures and the challenge of modernization is exponentially greater in that more real-time um, data-driven. And then think about adding AI on that, right? Which is the hot topic right now. I've got algorithms that are in there working and all of that creates this way more complicated world that's hard to you know, stay on top of, yeah. especially if something's structural. I think the issue is when does it, when does the change become structural and I have to kind of rethink uh, a different runway and when can I continue to move it along and how are you keep, how are you building in the indicators that, Hey, that structural risk has now grown to a point where I'm in a, I'm in this risk zone that yep. I probably don't want to be in. And I think CIOs have got to start articulating to, our CEOs and our business leaders in those terms, right? We are in a risk zone. Um, you know, you can you can place your bet on the roulette wheel of black, and and it's going to hit there a certain amount of time. But it, when you're in a high risk zone, the odds of it starting to hit that zone go up. Yeah, right? yeah. And how do you get everybody on board on that decision? Right? Either we're accepting the risk, or we're 
going to go mitigate that risk. I, I, I want to give you some props there for, for, for sort of using the analogy of the movie Speed in terms of the bus that, that couldn't slow down. <laughs> the, uh, uh, it's a great analogy, better than my sort of refueling the, the 747. But also then you just threw in a roulette uh, uh, reference as well. Um, <laughs> So because of that, so my next question was going to be in terms of like, is it, is it harder now to modernize than maybe it was 20 years ago it, it, because of all of these new sort of real-time requirements and you've got cloud and you've got all of these new technologies or has those, have those new technologies made it easier? Like if you had to compare modernizing a system 20 years ago versus modernizing now, what would you say might be easier? Or is that, is that, too, yeah, open, wow. is that too open-ended of a question? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's an interesting question because, you know, and you hate to say, I don't know if it's harder, but it is definitely different. Okay. That's right. Fair I enough, think yeah. modernizing back in the older, you know, and it's funny because we're, you know, we're very anti, you know, mainframe in this day and age, right? And, and the mainframe is this great horsepower processor that's yeah. arguably still the most pure, reliable, scalable thing. I don't want to promote mainframes in any stretch there. <laughs> the problem with the mainframes is the way they charge for them and the way software runs on them. But, but you know, in that world, you kind of had that part locked down and you were really, but, but you designed things in a way that made them hard to maintain and, and challenging to rebuild. And nowadays you have all these other complex dimensions and you think about it, our tech stack, just the a number of technologies that exist in an application I mean, we went from, and we actually did a little bit of study this, we went from like maybe 100 to 150 different technologies, right? To now we have over 1,000 to 2,000 different technologies. Right. You know, different types of techs inside, you know, your kind of business system application uh, structure, right? So now you've got a lot more moving parts. Um, there's opportunity for any one of those moving parts to create a challenge or disruption. So I think it is harder there um, but in some ways it's easier because, you know, you're, you're in a way more fluid world that allows you to kind of stay on top of things should you choose to, right? So yeah. now I think your ability to kind of stay on top of that kind of risk is there and that debt is there and stay more modern. Um, it becomes more about the decisioning, right? Whereas before I would say the technology was probably more in your way of modernizing, um, and that that made the that made the decision to bias against it easier. Now I think the tech is less in your way, but the business prioritization is probably more the factor of what's uh, a keeping keeping you away from modernizing, right. right? And and possibly people. You know, I think all these new technologies create a very different skill dynamic. Yeah, yeah. So one of the other things I wanted to ask that we talked about before uh, the on our pre call was. Uh, the differences, what are the differences between sort of modernization versus sort of the, the trendier term of digital transformation? I, I can't stand that term because it makes me think of like Cinderella as a peasant getting transformed into the, you know, the, the, the beautiful uh, princess with the ball gown. Um, digital transformation just annoys me. And do you think that, that those two terms get confused uh, either by business leaders or those within the CIO space? And do you like that term? Uh <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I'm with you. I, I'm not a, I mean, I think one, I think transformation has also gotten overused. Uh -huh. um, digital has become, it's like, I mean, the first question is, well, what does that mean to you? So transformation, I mean, I, you know, I've had people talk to me and it's like, look, I found a better way to pick up my pencil. So I'm transforming pencil picking up. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know if that's transformative, you know, yeah. so how do you, 
I, you know, and it's a lot, transformation really ought to be about that end-to-end stuff. I think digital, um, in, and in certain industries, right? And I think the industry that I'm in, um, digital has pretty much been kind of shoehorned into uh, mobile apps, websites, and portals, right? Okay. Um, but if you look at the music industry, you know, when they digitized music, they fundamentally changed the way music was experienced, bought, uh, you know, sold, just all of those elements. And it really was music, music became digital, right? So now you had data about the music and you had, what is that music representing? And now I can track what you're listening to and when you're moving and when you're skipping and when you're, you know, so your whole experience around music changed because you built a digital music, uh, you know, platform basis, right? right? And a lot of firms are still, I would say, their, their version of digital is still, it's an online, it's on your phone, it's whatever. And, and they're starting to embed some of that stuff in, but digitizing your operation is very different. Yeah. Um, and so, and so I do think that, how do you think about digital interactions versus digital operations that versus true digital products? I still think in some industries, we're still up at that digital interaction layer. We're not even down there. Um, and then, you know, modernization should be about a very different animal, right? I do think you're right. People are blurring those terms together. They're trading them off of each other. They feel very different. Modernization should be about, am I in the right, um, I like to say debt to risk ratio. Am yep, I, am yep. I modernized enough that I can take advantage of what I need to do to continue to serve my customers, give them a better experience, operate more effectively and efficiency, you know, gain, gain insights, make better management decisions, all those yeah, pieces yeah, yeah. of bubble. Yeah, so I'm wondering if the the modernization part, people think, well, we'll we'll modernize by digitally transforming. Like, so if we transform it, we'll then also then modernize our systems. Where if is if you're just thinking about taking your existing process and just having them run on better systems so that you don't crash or you don't have some of these shutdowns. Correct. That that feels like you know thinking about it that way would be better rather than just trying to lump in a digital transformation and a modernization effort at the same time because that that does feel like that's a recipe for disaster. I, I think yeah, you've got to be very intentful about um, if I'm going through a transformation, whether that transformation is digital. I mean, you can go through an operational efficiency transformation, right? I need to take a process from here to here and automate the heck out of it. Um, you know, and infuse it with maybe intelligence and AI. Is that digital or is that just really better yeah. process automation, you know, and process reengineering? Uh, and, and so you can transform a lot. I think if modernization is done in the context of a transformation that is getting you to an outcome that you're after, then then you're then you're looking at modernization in the right way. If you're saying modernize for the sake of modernizing, that feels like buy a system because it's a cool, shiny object. Or just add AI. Right? So to, I, yeah, I, just add AI and, it's, and everything will be great, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just add AI and everything will be great, right? Yeah. It, it, it's that's the new that's the new shiny object. Yeah. So I think, you know, modernization should be done in the context of achieving an outcome and transformation should be done in the context of achieving an outcome. And those become the methods by which you get to that outcome. They shouldn't be the outcome, right? And I, I do think that is you see that way so often, right? And, and we see it even when you say, I'm going to go transform and I'm going to do this. And then you sit down with the teams and they go, okay, what's the project about? Well, implementing that system or implementing that technology or, or, or upgrading it and modernizing it. And you're like, well, no, the outcome is we want to be better at something. Right. right? And right. so I, I think making sure that firms 
continue to push the lens of the outcome I want onto it and say, these are all means to get to that end. But that's hard. That yeah, is yeah. that is mental model thinking differently. That is actively in your project, working differently, making sure you don't add the modernized scope or just the upgrade scope for the sake of, you know, I, I want my new shiny thing, right? All right, I'm, Richard, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. I, I know we didn't talk about this before, but um, you're in the so you're in the insurance industry, and and so I'm trying to see if you can come up with an example uh, of of a way that you either modernized or uh, maybe digitally transformed something um, to you know within within the insurance industry or within the company that you're talking about, and and it has to be interesting because we are talking about insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you you know, just, if you want to pass, you could pass, but you know, no, no. I, so, um, you know, we've, uh, and, and it's a little bit of using kind of, uh, uh, how AI kind of pushed us. Right. You know, so, you know, one of the things we're looking at is we have panels uh, and we, uh, we sell dental insurance and we have to kind of, uh, adjudicate the dental claim. And, uh, we have panels of doctors, right? Like the medical people okay, would have yeah. panels of dentists that review a procedure and say, that procedure makes sense. And it's uh, for more complex procedures like crowns and, and, and the, you know, you, you need that kind of thing. And so we've, um, we, when we first looked at it, we looked at, Hey, is there, what we really need to do is make that uh, more consistent, make that more, uh, make it faster, make it more, uh, you know, kind of, are we making the same decision the right way? So we, we looked at a combination of AI and automation and it forced us when we did that, to look at how our entire kind of claims process was working, right? Because our claims process was built on these people doing it, right? right and right. so you had the people injection. And so now we've got, uh, we have an AI tool. It reads the x-ray. Um, it makes a determination. It kicks it out. Uh, if it if it has questions, it you know, brings a human in. Um, but we had to actually kind of re-engineer the claims process and the sequence of how we did things um, to actually accommodate both the, 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 you know, the use of uh, better tech to help us get there. Yep. And we are seeing, we are seeing more consistent, you know, application of a decision, right. You know, because, and, and, and the humans are reviewing it, you know, so you have kind of the back, the backdrop right. behind it says, Hey, are we, are we, you know, do we have any skew in our algorithms and are people looking at it? And, uh, but that's a really interesting case for both. I would say the automation of an end to end process, yep. a little bit of, you know, intelligent logic, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, AI's got this mod, you know, you think about iRobot and, you know, right. uh, Isaac Asmanoff, right? But it's like, I think it's, you know, it's intelligent automation there that's applying logic and rules to to, to an image and bringing it forward. Um, but, you know, we're, we're trying to find a way to do, um, you know, online, uh, easier life insurance applications too, right? Yep. Using data, you know, it's hard because I think in the life insurance industry, different than the dental is, you know, if I change the way I think about underwriting the risk of your mortality, which is really what we're doing, you know, um, uh, it, you know, you don't know you're wrong on that or right on that for, you know, 40 years. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, and, and you've made a promise to be around yep. for those 40 or 50 years to fulfill that agreement that you make today. So that's one where I think we're we're trying a lot, but we're also being very cautious. Yeah. And so it probably feels like we're the slow moving insurance industry. But I think we also we have to care about. I like to say we 
you know, we look at that agreement we made with you to cover your risk as, as a commitment to you. And that commitment get, potentially gets fulfilled 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years down the road. Right. And we believe it's our job to be there 80 years down the road to fulfill it. So we have to be a little more methodical there, but I, I don't know how awesome of a technology case that is, but I think it's a, it's a good case of bringing those technologies to something that really matters to you, which is, you know, the, uh, I like to say bad things happen and you live, bad things yeah, happen yeah, and you yeah. die. Yeah. To get, to that, get that back sort of to the, to the dental insurance example, it, it sounded like you had a goal in mind of, of speeding up the decisions that were being made in, in terms of the, these claims. And then um, to get to that goal, then you looked at technology. It, it, it's not like you just saw a, a bunch of AI going, oh, well, how can we apply this to our business? But rather, you know, how do we speed up uh, a decision or how do we make this easier for dentists, uh, you know, and, and the end consumer? And then you looked at technologies once you had that goal in mind. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, for- I mean, the, the reality is there's <laughs> always somebody throwing tech at you that yeah. you go, hey, that's interesting. Let me let me lean in and understand what problem you think you're trying to solve. And then how do I marry that to a problem I'm trying to solve? So I, I don't know if it's pure, but I think the moment you put those two together, you need to go back to the what problem I'm trying to solve. And it wasn't just speed it up. I think it was speed and consistency. Yeah. You know, how do I get consistency in my decision making? You know, you, you take five. I mean. I, should, I could pick on, you know, I'm in the insurance area, I could pick on actuaries, take five actuaries and ask them the same question. You'll get a slightly different answer, right? Because they're <laughs> actuaries. They're going to model it differently. Right. You know, five dentists might make a slightly different call, but a panel of dentists who has helped inform your intelligent automation, that at least will apply itself consistently. And so you're getting speed and consistency. Right. And then you can tweak the consistency where you want it, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to ask you another question about sort of modernization efforts that sometimes uh, it feels like it, companies that I've worked for where they've sort of modernized a system where, and this is usually like the, they've installed a new app for everybody to use or they've, you know, they're saying, okay, we're, we're going to modernize this by now switching everything that you're used to. Uh, and now you have to use this one. And so, um, and, and then, and then as, as an end user, I sort of have pushback and, and you see groups of employees sort of revolting against that things. And so I was going to ask you, do companies often forget about that human d- dimension in, in modernization efforts? And, um, you know, have you experienced that in some of the, the, the things you've worked on? Yeah. And I think, you know, as you and I were talking earlier, we're, we're kind of like uh, in year three of a five to six year transformation we're on. So we're kind of in the middle of a lot of these particular issues. And um, I, I think depending on the degree of change, right? So when you think of, and maybe this is back to the, do you think you're just modernizing and putting a slightly new thing in, or are you actually trying to change the way something gets done? And how are you managing the human change curve? Um, and I think we found that, you know, really quickly you bring in all the change management practices, which are really communicate better, make sure. The hard part is I change the way you're going to work. Mm-hmm. And I have to now get, a set of people to stop working this way and start working that way. And that's not just a training exercise, right? That's a, that's a, that's a how to, and and boy, if I change the job because of that, that's another, you know, there's a lot of people. In fact, you'll argue there's as much people challenges in, in a real transformation. Um, And even in certain levels of modernize, because when you modernize the system does one, if it's a newer system, it tends to, have embedded AI, it has more uh, intelligent automation, it has more workflow, it wants to automate things. That's what systems do for you, right? Yeah, if you yeah, just yeah. got a system that you key in and you key out and you, it's like, okay, I, didn't, I don't know what I got in terms of automation. So 
you know, even the new systems force change. And, and you're absolutely right. That human dimension, e- either in any form of modernization or any form of change, uh, you know, there's an old set, there's an old saying, you know, that culture eats strategy for lunch every day. <laughs> I'm going to argue culture eats any transformation and modernization for lunch every day. Yeah. Because that you've got to go work that piece, and and it's hard. It is not. It is not easy. It is hard. It is hard. You know, I'm going to say trudge through the mud work. Who's the um, Who's the right group to sort of help uh, either employees or or end users or any of the the new the new users of these systems? Who's the right group to sort of um, help convince them or be on their side or or understand rather than just sort of a an edict from above or you know here here's your new lunch and basically yeah. forcing you to eat it is 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 this something that that an IT group can do and and can succeed in or does it have to be sort of the business leaders and and all of those you know well i and i know you're going to say it's it's an amalgamation of everybody but but try yeah. to say that in a better way than what i just said. i mean i'm going to offer i mean my opinion is it it, it it's both right? IT needs to play a role. If IT's role is I implemented, it's now your problem. We, we did, we did half of our job, right? So I think we have a role to play to help make that happen. Um, but, but you can't just, we can't just do our side, right? You've got to have both. So we do this thing that we call co-sponsorship, right? And it's not IT works on the IT part and business works on the business parts. It's you put two leaders together that have both perspectives and they both care about the outcome to the company on all sides, right? Um, and so I, I think you need, you obviously need buy-in at the top levels for that change, but it actually takes root at line management level, director management level, the people who own those teams and those functions and those processes, they've gotta be your champions and they've gotta see that future and they've gotta help people get there. And they've got the hard burden of how do I get those people from A to B? And and so I, I think it's, um I think IT has a role to play yeah. in that. And how do we help? Because it's interesting. I find that uh, most technology organizations deep in their DNA actually understand that business process really, really well. They had to in order to get good at what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So if they can help enable a different way of doing it and and help those teams see that how to do it that way, I think they've got to lean in and go do that work. Um, you know, now, you know, what's your dynamic between your business and your, you know, they always talk about that. Right, right, right. IT relationship. Yeah. And, you so, know, it, I mean, it really will, it really will stress that relationship. It really will show how mature that relationship is. The more change you try to drive into a particular area, but I think IT should be leaning into it Yep. and we should be helping the business leaders do their part too, right? We got to show them if we can show them, support them where we support them and everybody go together to to get it done. I know that sounds so kind of, uh, very, uh, you know, uh, rainbows and unicorns <laughs> and all of that. Um, but, well, we're gonna but get I back. think you really got to go take, you got to do it. You got to lean in, you got to get it and you got to trudge through the mud, right? We're going to get a, back to this whole rainbows and unicorns thing in a second. But, um, one of the other things that frustrates me from an end user perspective is, is that, um, it does feel like sometimes a lot of modernization projects might take longer than is expected. You start seeing delays or other things that pop up. Um, in, in your experience, is there a time window in which modernization projects, so you need to have it complete by, um, like what are some of the risks that a modernization effort, you know, goes through because by the time you're done, it might now be obsolete again. And then you're back at square one. Yeah. I I mean, I think probably too often that's what we see, right? We see that they, 
And, and I think what you have is what I call uh, healthy change and unhealthy change, right? So mm -hmm. first off, you have the culture force that's going to try to take your modernization effort and say, buy all this new tech and just make it do the same thing that the old stuff was doing, right? So you have that, you have that huge force coming at you that's literally everybody in there just wants to take you back to what they know as opposed to where you're trying to go. Um, so, you know, I think that that starts to create uh, th that now you got to delay because you got to get in and break free of that and get that moving. And I think there is a point where if you take too long, you, you're like, throw it away and you got to you got to leapfrog. But, you know, we, we struggle with that. Don't throw good money after bad, but we throw good money after bad a lot everywhere. <laughs> right. Um, and, and how do you navigate through that? Because what happens is it's, you know, it's, you hate to say death by a thousand cuts, but it's a bunch of little changes. So how do you keep your eye on that, that large ball? And what we've been doing recently, and I would say we weren't doing it in kind of our first year and a half of our transformation, but we have found as a technique, we're we have these, uh, what we call outcome reviews, right? So we come back into the leaders and the project teams and say, well, this was our intended outcome. How are we doing on that? Yeah. You know, and what we find scope has creeped off of that. Um, things got added, the intention has pulled back. Um, and by putting that back in the forefront, people are like, oh, you know, we're really, and, and the hope there is that we can, uh, by pushing that back in, uh, help us succeed at getting that outcome and and get there sooner, right? Sooner than, I, I think we're all very aggressive on how fast we can go make a change happen. But it's, I, I agree with you. There is this point at where you've you've lost your window of opportunity on the on what the modernization was going to get you. Um, and I don't know if there's a perfect answer there, right? I think it's how do you keep patting that snowball and kind of checking in. And at what point do you say yeah, we're throwing good money after bad? We've lost our window back off and go find another route. Yeah. And that sort of leads me to the other question. And we've talked about this. We talked about this a little bit before where we were talking about sort of the ongoing changes of and ongoing updates. So can you, you know, take a modernization effort and then declare it as complete? Or do you think that you're, we're now in a world where, it's always being updated and you're never really done. And, you know, you, you mentioned that you're in the middle of a three to five year sort of transformation effort and modernization effort at, at year five. Are you going to just sort of like declare victory and, and walk away? Or is it is it like, well, OK, we've done this, but now we've recognized that we need to do some other things or do, yeah. do projects ever uh, end in, in, the, in this modern uh, world? Well, yeah. And I mean, at some point you ha you have to find a way to say I accomplished my objective. So, right. How do you create clarity on there? But I do think uh, what we have to get to is we have, part of the issue is we have to get to a world where I don't need to invest in a big modernization effort, right? Because I maintained that currency or that debt to risk ratio. Yep. It became a natural part of my, my work, right? My normal work was to stay on top of that and go do it. And we have to build in the time and the energy to invest in that. We have to say, we're, that's the world we're gonna go live in, right? And if you don't, then you know your 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 debt accumulates, and now you're going to have to go through another. Hey, I got to go take on this defined project to get myself back to where I probably should have already been, because I let it fall. Right. So I do think the mental model around this idea of well, I'm just going to let that you know age out or age down, and then I'm going to go do it again. I do think we're moving into a world where we're going to have to stay on top of that more and more and more and more. Right. We're not. Again, I think there's always an exception to that rule, right? You know, uh, again, I, I'm not going to go try to 
replace my financial system, you know, every year to stay it perfect enough. I'm going to try to stay on top of all the things that it should be doing. But now it's not, just, I mean, there's more and more things that you're buying as software from software companies, right? So I'm now it's not just what I'm doing. It's me and I'm relying on this software company and their ability. And when does that relationship sour and I need right. to move to another one? But I do think we're going to live in a world where we have to stay on top of it more, right? Well, that that becomes a normal part of our DNA instead of these big chunks to move. I think a lot of these big projects, especially in our industry, which you talked about, is because we hadn't, right? right. We hadn't. We had fallen right. behind. We'd fallen behind the experience that people were expecting. Um, we had fallen behind, you know, the automation levels that uh, that we that we that we could be at. And and now you got to go make the investment to get yourself back into a place. But part of that investment is get yourself into a place where you're staying on top of it, not just make an investment so that five years later you wake up and you got to do it again. Right. right? Well, so. yeah. So I'm going to drop a, a Greek mythology uh, analogy on you. It's like Sisyphus with the giant boulder and he's go he goes and pushes this boulder all the way up to the mountain and then it rolls right back and you're back. You know, so, right. you know, I guess, you know, what kind of advice would you give to companies to avoid sort of this Sisyphean? Well, there's a great reference, uh, you know, effort to, to go up and down the mountain with this giant boulder, because some people don't even get that boulder halfway up before they give up. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, my advice is, look, you got to start looking at your investment in these initiatives as part of that investment has to has to maintain this. Right. You know, I'll use the word currency loosely because in the tech world, currency has a very specific meaning. I'm trying to make a broader meaning about it. But it's that how do I keep myself at this point where I don't need to make large investments and how am I building the monitoring in to look for when that debt is accumulating and and get ahead of it, right? I, I really need to have that as part of my kind of project investment or initiative investment uh, pool. And I need to be accounting for it and modeling it and thinking about it. And, and again, take your technology and your business systems taxonomy and you say, over here, I need to maintain this level of currency really close and tight and always up. And over here, I'm willing to let it kind of, you know, be in a little different zone and so you may end up with a smaller project to nudge it forward every so often, but not a big one, right? You know, because the big ones are are always fraught with a lot of uh, a lot of extra challenges. And if you can stay on top of that, then and not just the tech side, right? The people and the change side. And again, there are yeah. points where where evolutionary change doesn't work anymore, right? So the degree to which you need to stop evolving and you need to just leapfrog, you've got to look for that and then take on your leapfrog. That's but it would be nice if your if your big initiatives were always these leapfrog initiatives that said, "Hey, the the world just shifted on me, and I just need to jump to that new world." Right. Then you're only doing those in places where you know you're jumping to a new world and extracting that value really quickly. You're not burdening that, which is what really happens. Is I'm burdening that effort yeah. with all this cleanup. All right, I want to get back to the rainbows and unicorns <laughs> comment. That, that, yeah, it, it does feel like you're a technology optimist. Uh, that you are in, you know, it, it does feel like you have an attitude of that. You know, change is good, and we can do all this stuff, and this is great, and that's probably why you're in the role that you're in. But you know, is there anything that does frustrate you around sort of uh, modernization efforts that you think could be better, or or do you talk with other CIOs about those frustrations? Because obviously, you wouldn't necessarily say anything bad about the company you're currently in. But you know, h- how do you sort of get over any frustrations that you might have around a, a, a yeah and I, I, it's funny because i would say i'm a i'm a cautious i'm a i'm cautiously optimistic cautious, okay I'm, that's good uh, 
right? Um, I, I think it's the, look, it, in my uh, experience, both here and in other places, um, we fail the affordability test long before we fail the doability test. Okay. <laughs> in other words, you know, everybody wants all their stuff and, and you can actually build an initiative frame to get all that stuff done before, but you will fail your ability to afford all of that long before you will fail. I can't do that much work. Right. Okay. I mean, there are some places where you can't be under the hood at the same time doing it. And you're just going to say, Hey, that's just a sequencing issue. Yep. But I will say the frustration comes in that, uh, you go through this cycle of throwing everything but the kitchen sink in, and then you step back and say, wow, I can't afford all of that. And then you start pulling it all out. Um, right. Whereas I, I think the work up front to say what really matters is a better lens to come at it. And, and I think that's a, that's not just a CIO challenge. That's a company decisioning challenge, right? That kind of, uh, I always like to say, we don't have a resource problem. We have a prioritization and focus problem, right? You know, it's like, Where's our priorities? What are we focusing on? And and it's not that people are willy nilly and don't want to make you know tough decisions. It's that discipline of that tough decision yeah. is hard, and it's hard to hold to when you're seeing the shiny object and you're chasing the opportunity and you're right. Yep. But yep. to me, it's that I think is the thing I hear the most as I'm out talking to other CIOs. That kind of how do I how do I manage that? excitement and appetite with the reality of the company's ability to do it and afford it. Yeah. 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 And, and you had mentioned early in the discussion today about um, we were looking at some of these, these big failures and you say, always notice, always take a look to see if the CIO gets fired to, to know where the, the failure happened. Um, do you think that the CIO, you know, is the most dangerous position kind of at a, at a C-level suite area other than the, probably the CEO is probably the most dangerous to, in terms of in terms of having a target yeah. on your back and like do you feel like the CIO is now the the one that everyone will blame if something doesn't work or if something if if an effort doesn't doesn't succeed? I mean, I, I will argue it is one of the hardest jobs yeah. on the planet to have because yeah, it's easy to blame the tech, it's easy to blame the CIO for not making sure those things were covered or those risks were covered out or pulled out. I think those are easy things to go do. It's a, it's probably, but it is a hard job. And, and again, a lot of it depends on the mental model of your peer group, right? If your peer group sees the technology organization and the CIO is the, you know, you're in the back, you do the thing. If they see tech as a strategic value capability and the IT organization and the CIO is part of that, I think it's easier for you to get in a room and do it. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously from my seat, I'm going to say it's one of the hardest jobs to have. I like to say it's all my fault and it's <laughs> never all my credit and, and that's okay. You know, I mean, I think we understand that it's like, we want the credit to go to all the people who worked hard on it. Um, I think the frustration probably comes in, but if you truly are painting the risks and you're painting them in business terms, um, and then one of the comments I make, if we choose to take that risk on, then we choose it. We choose it full knowing. And when the risk happens, I don't want to hear it's your fault. Right. right I mean, because right. like we made that decision together. We need to own it together. Right. Good or bad, right or wrong. We need to own it together. Right. Um, but I do think it's, it's hard. Right. I, 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 I want to be careful. I tell this story, right. I have a list right on one of my whiteboards um, because as a CIO, you sometimes have to bias towards your partnership 
uh, with your business colleagues, even though you know that decision is a suboptimal decision for the company, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You just have to be careful about how much risk you're putting on the company when you do that. And when do you stand up and fight? And when do you say, I'll lean into the partnership, I'll let that go. Right. But I have a list of those, right? And I have one for every single part of the organization. <laughs> and in some ways, you know, it's not the, hey, I was right list. Yeah. It's the, hey, can we not make this mistake again the next time it comes up, right? It, it, use it as a, as a tool to hopefully facilitate the one that you really do want to fight about and say, hey, remember these three? They didn't turn out the way we thought. So can we can we kind of lean a little more towards what I'm trying to get you to yeah, see? Yeah. Um, I mean, and it's a hard balance because, you know, it's not about we're always right, you know, but it's, it's how do you, how do you navigate what I call that uh, business partnership relationship with the enterprise stewardship, make yeah. a good decision company job. And you've got both. So when I say the CIO has got the hardest job, it's like, we have to be a trusted partner. We have to be an enterprise steward of, of good, um, balanced decision-making around technology and data and systems. And I always like to say it speaks a lot to the maturity of the relationship when you say no as an enterprise steward. Right, Does your right. partner take crayons and go home and say, I'm not playing with you anymore? Or do they lean into that tension and understand it, right? And so, it, yeah, I you know, it's a tough job and yeah. it's a tough job on a lot of levels, but at the same time, it's one of the most fun, exciting jobs because you really do get to go help a company change for the better. And tech is so embedded in everything we do that I think the job is now more critical, right? So it, it should have a uh, a bigger, um, you know, a, a bigger weight yep. on our shoulders, yep. right? We should carry it uh, with honor, pride, integrity, and we should go, we should go do good things with it, not use it as, you know, we should not use that uh, as uh, as our, uh, our way to go get our own personal stuff done, right? Because then- yeah. And I, you're you're a bad actor, whether you're in the CIO job, right? right. You know. Yeah, I, I have a list like that, but it's not on a whiteboard. I, I just keep <laughs> I just keep my list. I, I keep it in my pocket. It's of of all of the people who've done me wrong, and then and then when I'm right, then I go like, see, see, I've got this. So uh, pretty bold for to put it onto a whiteboard. So um, and I know that's not what you meant, but um, I, I thought it was okay. funny that you have a it list. It means when you come in my office, the past is sitting there in front of you, and you're going to have to face it. Yeah. So one one final question for you, Richard. Um, I understand that you were uh, that you trained as a magician. Um, that you have sort of, and it's not just like that you do party tricks. It's, it's, you were in a previous life, you were a magician, right? You, you did trade shows uh, yes. and things like that. Yes. So I did it professionally for about four or five years. Yeah. And so I'm just, I'm not going to ask you to do a trick or an illusion or whatever, whatever the term is. Um, but how does knowing about magic and some of the skills there, how does that help you in your role as a CTO or CIO? Like, uh, and again, be quick. I, I don't, I don't need a, a thesis on this. <laughs> uh, well, you, because that's, I mean, you, you know, I normally provide a thesis, so it's uh, hard <laughs> to be quick. Look, hey, you know, you love, you love, I love the chart uh, that when people put it up says magic happens here, right? You know, because right, <laughs> yeah. you see that chart in the technology world all the time. And of course, I, I get a, a good laugh out of it from multiple meanings. Um, but, but I think, you know, it's funny when you, when you do magic for fun and you're just kind of working on things, that's one thing. But when you do it as a profession, you learn it's a lot about what is the audience perceiving? What do you want them to see and understand? And how do you want to take them on? an experience journey, right? And so, uh, and I learned a lot about business development and how you spend your time. And and probably I'd say two things. One is, hey, underst understanding your audience, right? Is one factor I pull right. out of that. 
And second is a lot of magic is working things behind the scenes so that the so that the effect at the end shows up in the right way. And if you think of our job, there is a lot of things like modernization and that not that we actually need to spend time saying our job is to keep on that and work that out so that when we get to this net result, everybody looks and says, oh, wow, we got where we were supposed to get to and honestly doesn't care about how you got there. Right. I mean, in some ways, business leaders are like, I don't care how you get there. Let's just get me there. Right. You know, and then you can get, and me, then, there, and, get and, me there with the right cost risk value. Yeah. Right? And then and, at the end you so go think, and at the end, when you're when your project is done, you go, ha ha magic. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> Right. Here's the big reveal. Yeah, absolutely. I have an opportunity to go, voila, magic happened. Yeah. So. All right, Richard. Uh, thanks again for, for having this uh, discussion with me today. It was a great, great topic and uh, loved having you on the show. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Keith. Uh, that's all the time we've got for today's episode. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and add any comments that you have below. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.